0: tonight I want to just uh, take a moment here and this is actually a conversation that uh, Harvey and I were having the other day and we were, we were talking about the idea of, uh, of people who are, are lost who are uh, un- the unsaved, those who do not know the Lord as their Savior and those that are in our lives. Uh, some you may know better than others, but nonetheless these are names that are on our hearts and uh, and so I got to thinking about that and we talked about we obviously encourage people to witness. Uh, to share the gospel with others. And in order to do that, we have tracks that are available. And by the way, I'm, I'm very pleased that uh, often we, I look at the track rack and I see a few taken here and there. They're being used. Uh, we had, by just admission today, we've had several that went out, uh, even this week. I praise God for every opportunity that seeds are sown for the sake of the gospel. I rejoice when we hear of someone being led to the Lord and, uh, and seeing that new life in Christ. Uh, what a blessing that is. But I want to kind of focus on another aspect uh, of evangelism, and that is really praying, praying for the lost to be saved. How do we pray for the lost? I think that's something we do, but I want us to look at the scriptures tonight as far as what does it mean to actually pray for the lost. And so this is something very important. So i got a question, a couple questions I have at the beginning here First of all, how often do we pray for the lost to be saved? When I say lost, what are we talking about? These are the people without Christ, without salvation, without the hope of heaven. Uh, how often do we pray for the lost? Uh, that's, that's something that should challenge us right now. Um, are we concerned for our lost loved ones, our friends, our, our neighbors, those that we, we come in contact with? Are we really concerned for them and their spiritual state? If we want them to be saved, and I trust that we do want them to be saved, we must pray to that end. I like uh, this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. So Spurgeon had some very (laughs) hard words there. But it kind of, what we say, packs a punch, doesn't it? with that. And so how it is to, yes, warn, I think I like one explanation, which sometimes we talk about soul winning, but really we don't win the souls per se. We do not do, we do not convert someone to Jesus. We don't save someone ourselves. Uh, however, I think maybe another way to look at it, we are maybe not necessarily a soul winner, but we are a soul warner that we should warn people about the, the state of their sinful condition and, and point them to Jesus, point them to the cross where they can have uh, forgiveness of sin and the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I believe that we should do our utmost to pray for the lost in that regard. And I challenge you even as we go through this message tonight to think of people, whether it be your own family, your own loved ones, maybe a neighbor, uh, maybe an old co-worker, you know, whoever it might be that you know is without Christ and I encourage you to think upon them, and even from tonight, we would pray for them. And we'll kind of give a, a strong application about that here in, in, uh, towards the end of the message. Well, first of all, we should pray for the unsaved. How do we do that? Biblically speaking, should we pray for the unsaved? Let's look at a couple facts. First of all, we know that Jesus came to this world, as it says in the scriptures a couple of times, to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the reason he came to this world, to seek and to save those that were lost and to obey the Father. He did not come, Matthew says this, he did not come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners to repentance. Are there sinners in this world? Yes, I'm one of them. And uh, newsflash, you're one of them too, okay? We're all in this together. We are sinners and we are the sinners that Christ came to save, okay? So think about that. uh, Savor that thought. So that is our Savior's desire, so with that, our Savior also says in 1 Timothy 2.4, our Savior wants all people, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. So when we pray for the salvation of an unsaved person, what are we doing? When you say for, for someone, think of a name of a person that you're praying for, and I hope you're praying for their salvation. When you're praying for their salvation, what are we doing? We are simply sharing in a state, the stated desire of Jesus Christ. Jesus desires that the lost come to Him. That's His desire. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He that cometh to me, he will in no wise will cast out. Okay? And so in that, we are simply sharing. When we pray for the lost to be saved, we're, we're praying really the same desire as Jesus, uh, the same desire as God. So with that, does God hear our prayers for the unsaved? Yes, God hears and uses I believe he uses the prayers of the saved who bring the gospel of peace that God uses as the means of calling the lost to be saved. So God uses, he listens to our prayers for the lost. He does. Does he pay attention? Does it seem like we're not getting anywhere through our prayers? Sometimes it feels that way. But I think there's some great benefit to know uh, that we are praying according to the will of God. Your prayers for the lost, are they important? Absolutely, they're important. As we have people in our sphere of influence who are unsaved. Uh, we were talking about Skip yesterday, and look at yesterday, that was a, uh, at least a, a picture of the, your skill, your influence all over people. You have a lot of connections. Each and every one of us have a lot of connections, people that we run into, people along our path of life that uh, you have influence over one way or the other. Do we have influence, though, that will lead them to Jesus Christ? We should be praying for these people because I hope that you care deeply about them because we know that God cares for them, doesn't he? He does. He wants none of them to perish. His desire, again, as we said, is that all should come to repentance. So I think it should be natural for a Christian to pray for those we care about, especially for their spiritual condition. I know in our own family, when our Our children, when we found out that we were expecting children, that uh, we would pray for our children, that they would uh, come to know Christ, that they would know God, and that they would follow Him. That's our prayer. It still is our prayer. Uh, You don't stop praying for your kids once they're born, do you? Even when they get out of the house, you stop praying for them. In some cases, you're praying more for them, right? (laughs) But nonetheless, this is something very important. So I want us to kind of get to the scriptural aspect of what it means to pray for the lost. And we're going to look at two major examples at the beginning, kind of broad on that. So go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. This is one of the uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture in talking about the prayer for the lost, for the unsaved. This is Paul's prayer that he had for the lost. And so here's an example of how do we pray for the lost? What should be our attitude in praying for for those without Christ? Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my kinsmen, uh, for my brother, for my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. It explains who they are a little bit more. So Paul is praying. Here for Israel, for his fellow Jewish people. I think this is really important. But look at, look carefully at how he prays. How does Paul pray? Lord, I pray for my Jewish family to be saved. He does. He does pray for that later on in Romans 10.1, If you maybe just look at that quickly, he says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." Okay. And so, when we look at that, his his prayer was that God would basically keep his promise, the promise that he made to Abraham, that he would uh, have a great nation and that nation would be preserved. There would be a remnant. And that's what Romans 9 10 11 kind of focuses on right there, that God d- definitely keeps his promises. And so, but as we look at Romans 9, he's talking about what is heavy on his heart. He says, I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. Uh, this has such weight to it, heaviness, so to speak. I remember there was, uh, when we were ministering in Israel, there was a lady in our our congregation there. Her name was Dora Zalmanovic, and she was from Moldova. Remember Dora? She was a self-appointed deacon, deaconess, okay? <laughs> she just kind of went and did whatever needed to be done type of thing without her asking, and sometimes you wish she didn't do it, because that meant more work for you. But nonetheless, she had a great heart. She, she was... Uh, Uh, really a wonderful lady, had a big heart for the Lord. She really did. Uh, And uh, she's still living up there in years now. But uh, she would always say her English was broken, so most of the time when we spoke, it was mostly in in Hebrew and a little bit of Russian, but a little bit of English, she said. She would have something that would burden her. She asked for prayer, and so she would say in her thick Russian accent, she's going, it's heavy, heavy on my heart, brother. And the way she said heavy, it sounded like, oh, you just were weighted down with it. But these things are so important to her that you could feel the weight of her prayer, really in that. And so, as we pray for the lost, and as Paul is doing, praying for his own people, he prays with this great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. I don't know about you, but is prayer always, is is prayer an easy thing? It really isn't. When you you really start praying hard, and especially in, in what we're talking about tonight, praying for the lost... This is something that really should burden us strongly with heaviness, with sorrow, with grief is the idea. Paul. Here's the thing. Paul's prayer was filled with righteous grief and sorrow for those he loved. He's praying for Israel. He says his kinsmen according to the flesh. But I I got a question for you very quickly. How was Paul's relationship with his kinsmen according to the flesh, with his fellow Jewish people, his nation? How was that relationship going? It wasn't. There were. I'm going to use a he- Hebrew slang. There were brogues with each other. They were against each other. Now Paul wasn't against them, but because of him sharing the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ, that they confronted him. They were. They kind of came enemies, so to speak, contrary against him. But look at this. I think that almost accelerated Paul's heart for his people. The more that they uh, argued against him and fought and even persecuted against him, the more he prayed for them. That, I think that's something very, very telling. And so this is exactly what Paul is doing here. He, he has a heart for his people. And then look with me carefully in verse 3. This is how heavy it was. Here's the expression. He says, with this grief, this heaviness, sorrow in my heart, for I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my kinsmen according to the flesh. I wish myself were accursed from Christ. What does that mean? Paul is basically saying, let me take the punishment that they would get because of, of righteous judgment. In other words, let let me go to hell if it were possible. Let me suffer hell for them. I, I don't know about you, but when we pray for a lost, I don't know if any of us would even think about praying that way. And even if we did put in the words, how would we, how would we really understand that? Not that, now, could Paul actually suffer hell for his people? No, uh, because he's securing Christ. And he actually, Romans 8, deals with that subject distinctly. But this is his heartbeat. But I want us to think of this. This is Paul's heartbeat for his own people. How impressive that was. But there was another person in the Bible, this time in the Old Testament, who had almost identically the same prayer. Who was that? Does anyone know? Who had the same prayer as as Paul. Who's that? Jeremiah. Not Jeremiah, Moses. Moses. Go with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, there's a big thing that's taking place at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai to receive the law. He comes down what does he find the children of Israel doing? They were being naughty. They were worshiping the golden calf. And uh, God threatened to, what did he do? He was going to wipe out those people and start a new nation with Moses. That's what he said. But what was the prayer? We see Moses as an intercessor. Just as Paul, in the New Testament, he he was literally an intercessor for his people. Let me just kind of stop for a moment before we read this verse. When you pray for your lost loved one or your friend, you are an intercessor for them in that regard. You're, you're bringing them up to the throne of grace that God would hear and have mercy on them. This is exactly what Paul did, and now we receive Moses. So look at me, Deuteronomy 32, verse 32. Or not Deuteronomy, Exodus. What did I tell you? I don't know what I said. Alright, Exodus 32, 32 says... Moses said, uh, let me go back in verse 31 just for context. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and they have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. In other words, may I be accursed from God. That's the same prayer that Moses did. These two individuals prayed that prayer there's only one other person who could pray a prayer like this and actually do it. Who was that? Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he went to the cross and literally was accursed for us. He took the curse upon himself. So, with Moses, his prayer here's the interesting thing about Moses' prayer. With the sin of Israel that was going on at the time, his people that he prayed for, for their salvation, for their forgiveness, that God would uh, blot out their. Their sin, forgive their sin. Moses' prayer was uh, conscious or under, he understood the seriousness of the people's sin and their expected fate. The thing is this the, the Bible says that the soul that sinneth, what? It shall die. There is a consequence for sin. Do we really, can we really understand that? Is sin serious? Before Holy God, absolutely. In our eyes, we minimize it, or we say it's a petty sin or a, a white lie, whatever we want to put on it, okay? But to God, sin is serious business. And because of our sin, and in our sinful condition, what is our fate? There, there is punishment. There is judgment. There is a, there is a hell. There's a, as much as there's a real heaven. there's a real hell that God has prepared for the devil and his angels, but yet people who reject Jesus Christ will suffer that same fate. And as we see here in Moses, his prayer was conscious of the seriousness of the people's sin and expected fate. When you pray for the lost, when you think of your lost loved one or your, your neighbor in, in your story, think of this: that when you pray for them, understand that their sin is serious before God. And that their fate is real. Oh, that we should be a witness. And yes, share the gospel, hand up a track, do it again, but pray for them. If nothing else pray for them and pray that they would understand that. As you see, between Paul and Moses, both men prayed believing that God would hear and intervene, even to the extent of putting their life and soul at stake. So here's the thing. They prayed and we can pray the same thing, that God would hear and intervene. Do we believe that God can hear our prayer? Yes, He does. Can God intervene? Absolutely. And so Why do we wait? Why do we hesitate to pray for those who are without Christ? So tonight I want us to kind of look now here at some practical ways of how then should we pray for the lost? Well, the first thing is to pray to the proper source. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus instructed us to pray for the unsaved this way. Therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, what? That he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So this prayer concerns the harvest field of evangelism in the world. It's a prayer that people will be saved and that God will be glorified. So pray, first of all, to the Lord of the harvest. Lord of the harvest, Lord, send reapers, send harvesters, send laborers into the harvest. So pray to Lord of the harvest. The second thing is to continue in prayer. Be a church that prays for the lost. Uh, go with me quickly to uh 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want, I want you to see. In fact, I don't know if I've seen it quite this way by myself until uh, I did this little study here, but look with me in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy, at this time or around this time, was actually the pastor, the leader of the church in Ephesus. Okay? So, kind of keep that in perspective as we read these verses. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Pray for other people. And he describes in verse 2, For kings, those that are in authority that may lead a quiet peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So we should be praying for others, and he mentions specifically for those in authority. However, this prayer for others is good. And verse 4 is really interesting. For who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? So our prayer for others should for them to come to know God and to follow him, to glorify him. I don't know about you, uh, we look at this verse a lot, especially around election time, that we should pray for those who are in authority over us, whether it be mayors or governors or representatives, congressmen, Supreme Court justices, even the president. We pray for them, pray for wisdom. Have you prayed for the salvation of your elected leaders? Have we done that? I know there's a lot of people who pray curses on them, okay? That's beside the point, okay? If you don't like their policy, pray curses on them maybe. But here's the deal. We should pray first and foremost for them to know God. Let's do that, okay? But here's the thing. This is what caught my attention though. The Ephesian church here where Timothy pastored had apparently stopped praying for the unsaved. That's why Paul is saying this. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy to make it a priority again. His desire was for the Ephesian church to have, a com- have compassion for the lost. So here's the thing. Let's be a church that prays for the lost. Let's not forget that. This is something that should be a priority for us. Okay? Uh, with that, another aspect of praying for the lost is this. Pray specifically. What do we mean by that? When you pray for a lost, pray specifically. In other words, pray by name. Pray by name. If you know the person's name, get as much as your name. Okay, I'm praying. For example, I met Ezra today. He claims to be Christian, gave a profession of faith. Praise God for that. But I'm putting on my prayer list. Okay, uh, there's other people, and uh, we met uh, an Israeli lady this this week. Her name is Orly. Uh, I tell you what, she is on our prayer list, uh, and so we are we're praying that God would work in her life and show Himself to to her. And uh, already we're seeing how. The gospel has been presented to her. So be personal. Here's the thing. When you pray, make it personal, okay? With that, pray with understanding. Pray according to the person's need. Pray according to their situation. When you know a little bit about their background and how they think, uh, maybe their routine or whatever, pray according to their situation. And all, Another thing is, too, pray for help. You know, I, we can't be with that person all the time. You know, I don't know if we'll ever, I'll ever see Ezra again, for example, I don't know if we'll ever see Orly again, our Israeli friend that we just met. But nonetheless, pray for help. Pray that God would maybe send someone else into your life that they could be that laborer in the harvest. Okay? Pray that way. Look for compassion. Uh, look, or uh, Here's the thing. Look at the compassion of the young servant. Remember uh, Naaman? Naaman back in 2 Kings, he was the leper who went and he, uh, he had to go into the Jordan River and And he immersed seven times, he came up clean, you remember that? But how did that story all start? There was a little Jewish little girl, a maiden, it says, that told his wife, and this is what she says Would God, my Lord, or would God, my Lord, were were with the prophet that is in Samaria, talking about Elisha, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So, in other words, his leprosy can be taken care of if he just went. Would, would God send him to the right person? She was that individual who started that. She prayed for help, and that's exactly what happened. God indeed hears the cries of his children. And in that, praying for others, I believe, reveals our love for others. If you're not praying for others, can you say you really love other people? That's a, that's a really important thing. We know what happens to those who die in their sins, according to the Bible. And that knowledge alone should prompt us to pray um, continually for our unsaved acquaintances, our friends, loved ones, and hope that they too will respond to God's call and be with us in heaven. So my challenge is to you to make a list. Make a list of five people in your life. Write them down, uh, maybe on a piece of paper on the back of the bulletin, somewhere where you can access it. I challenge you to pray for five people who you believe are without christ pray for them daily pray that god would show himself to them that someone would would share the truth with them somehow and they, they would come to know christ and you're probably wondering well five people can god really do that can god really save that person if i just pray absolutely let me share this brief story with you considering george Mueller, i don't know if you've ever heard of george Mueller, who ran the orphanages in bristol in england Uh, back in the 1800s, uh, a tremendous man of prayer uh, amongst the ministry that he had. And so this is entitled George Mueller's Persistent Prayer for Five Individuals. It was in November of 1844, Mueller says, I began to pray for the conversion, the salvation of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, a single break, whether sick or in health, on land or a sea, or whatever pressure my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was saved. Eighteen months before the first one was saved, he said. I thank God, and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was saved. I thank God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years had passed before the third was saved. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two, and these two remained unsaved. 36 years later, he wrote that the two others, his sons and one of Mueller's friends, was still not saved. And he wrote, Mueller wrote, But I hope in God, and I pray on, and look for the answer. They are not saved yet, but they will be. It's interesting, in 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally saved, but after Mueller had passed away. Did God answer that prayer? Absolutely. Mueller understood what Luke meant when Jesus said that we should pray always and not faint. What a blessing it is to pray for the lost. There are people that I pray for regularly every week who need Christ in their lives. People who are within reach or connections of the church or the church family. And this is something that I think is, it, number one, is this important to the heart of God? Not your head yes, okay? God's desire is for these folks to come save. Pray for your family. Pray for your loved ones, for your children, your grandchildren. If they're without Christ, pray for them, okay? Pray for their salvation. If there's someone you know in your life, whatever, oh, in your walk, that they are without Christ, pray for them. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see this year God do a great thing in answering that prayer? absolutely and part of that is what we've been talking about the theme of this year follow me follow christ as we follow christ bring others before the throne can god answer that prayer absolutely i pray that will be our prayer this evening amen let's pray for the lost to be saved so write those five names down if you want help praying for them come by my office or come and share that with me say hey pastor can you join me in prayer for this individual this person Man, we're gonna drop right there and we're gonna we're gonna pray. Cause I know God can hear. Amen. What a blessing it is to serve our Lord.